Hello, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to the podcast today. I am Crystal, and today we are going to talk about harm reduction. Um, the presentation I intended last week was part of the Mental Health Scholars Academy Speaker Series, which is a quarterly uh presentation that is open to all current Kaiser employees needing CEs as well as other MHSA scholars. Um, recently, they did open that up to fellow affiliated students as well. So individuals who are at our partnering universities, which would include UMass Global, of course, can also attend these now. I believe those emails are being pushed out um, by Dr. Kimberly Toller. I'm not sure if they're being sent out by the department, but if you're a UMass student who's listening and you would like to attend um, some of these quarterly Kaiser presentations or just get on the email list, I would reach out to um, our social work department to ask them how you can do that. Um, I did send an email, but I haven't heard back yet. So if I hear anything, I will update um, on next week's episode notes. Um, the course was facilitated by Dr. Uh, Erica Aguirre-Marimoto, who is a LCSW that specializes in addiction medicine. And she's down at our Kaiser Southern California branch. And she's also a mental health scholar herself, currently doing our DSW program through USC. Um, I know that she's done um, smaller presentations with us before uh, for, for uh, within our organization, and this is her passion and area of focus, and she's worked really hard to bring more of a harm reduction lens to the work that's being done within our organization and our addiction medicine department, so it's really great to get to attend a presentation with her, um, so be on the lookout for her future career because I think she's going to be um, continuing to do good work. I chose this course uh, because it looked really great, honestly, and I've had several clients who are definitely more in the pre-contemplation stages of substance use and not really looking to get involved in traditional models um, of our substance abuse treatment that typically we have our clients do. And um, for some of those folks, I have already been kind of using more of like a goal setting MI um, strategy to take more of a harm reduction approach. So I'm really um, interested in just being able to take the practical applications that I've learned and um, use that in my work with clients that I'm already doing and also to bring it here to listeners so that if you're interested and after hearing kind of this overview of what harm reduction looks like you can go out there and maybe find um, longer trainings I'm sure PESI or somebody has one so if you wanted to get a certification or something there's probably uh, things out there you can do as an added bonus this information pack course was only an hour long so I was able to complete it in the time that it took me to finalize my crock put crock crock pot chili and cornbread that I was making for dinner 
So by the time I was done, uh, it was dinner time, which is always nice, always important as social workers to think about that work-life balance and ways to get self-care in. And anybody that is a current listener of the show knows that one of the ways I love to do that is by cooking and eating food. So uh, to kick it off, I think it's important that we really start with an overview of what harm reduction is. And really, harm reduction is a client-centered approach to substance use disorder. And the important thing about it that makes it different is it does not require abstinence for clients to participate. The goal, as you might imagine, given the name of the course, is to reduce the harm in the lives of our clients Um, It's a client-centered, strength-based approach where the treatment's really based on meeting the clients where they are as opposed to prescribing specific steps um, of things that they need to do in order to be compliant like you would with a more traditional model. Um, One quote that was shared in the presentation that I really liked that I think kind of sums that up is we don't need to know the destination to begin the journey and... um, Dr., um, excuse me, clinician Aguirre really liked uh, Andrew Tatarske and used a couple of his quotes throughout this presentation. And he's one of the big uh, kind of pioneers of harm reduction. So he's also a great one to check out. And again, I really think that does um, kind of sum up harm reduction in a nutshell. And if you want to think about what that really means, it means taking interventions and tailoring them specifically to to that individual client and engaging with them with a level of curiosity and respect and acceptance for where they are in their journey, not where you think they should be or what level they're on based of compliance. It really requires us as practitioners to practice radical neutrality and allowing things to move at the client's pace while continually assessing their stage of change um, throughout that process. It also means understanding and accepting some challenging client behaviors at times, which may require us as clinicians to think outside of the box and Also, really important to recognize that part of that means that we need to do things to lower the threshold to access services in order to encourage participation as much as clients are willing and able, which again, radically different, um, as I'm sure anybody working in the substance abuse field will tell you, than most um, approaches that require 100% complete abstinence and often you know, full 100% compliance in order for program participation to happen. The learning goals of the presentation, there were three of them, which they um, stated at the beginning. And the first was to provide services consistent with a client-centered approach to ensure members are treated in alignment with their own goals and needs. And that's kind of the... um, at the center of it and what we've really already been talking about. Um, She introduces what she referred to and what is um, talked about in other harm reduction models as a no wrong door approach to meet members where they're at. So wherever the client wants to start is okay. Um, 
And the, the third learning goal is implementing evidence-based practices to enhance intrinsic motivation as a pathway to adopt healthier lifestyles. And that was basically just some basic tips on how to use MI to adjust the stages, to address the stages of change that the clients were at um, in order to maybe, if that is their goal, eventually move them more towards abstinence, but definitely um, to help them think about what are some ways that I can um, take and minimize whatever the negative consequences of my behavior may be, and really helping the clients to think about that and make steps towards that end. So things that I really liked about this course were um, just how motivating it is and that it really is a strength-based client-first um, practice. That's really kind of where I feel most comfortable. Um, I really appreciate the radical acceptance approach and I could see it being really powerful. Um, accepting the person exactly where they are right in front of you at this time um, was something that Dr. Aguirre, or excuse me, clinician Aguirre, um, she will be a doctor soon, but not quite yet, uh, was something that she stressed over and over again. And she really talked a lot about how doing that helps people make the most informed decision that they can, which helps them take control of their lives because it helps them to um, recognize what are the benefits to what I'm doing and it helps them to develop their role as an agent of change in their own life and really become more of an active participant and kind of um, addressing the issue at hand, which often people tend to not feel that way in addiction. Um, and it helps them to consider um, not only what are the benefits to what I'm doing and that's where the radical acceptance piece comes for us as clinicians because it's recognizing, you know, hey, the clients are getting something out of this. There's a benefit to them or they wouldn't be doing it. And acknowledging that with the client, but also going, okay, but uh, given that, you know, what are the risks? Um, and having these, having them understand not only the negative things that are happening um, as a result of their use, but also what they're getting out of it really helps the client to create their own goals, um, which, as was pointed out in the presentation, decreases fear and ambivalence and builds confidence for change. Because when the client, when the goals are coming from the client, that's when you really see the buy-in and motivation that it takes to move people forward um, or for people to move themselves forward rather. And that's the cru crux of harm reduction. And again, the thing I really liked about it is that it's something that I can take into practice with every client. And I think it's applicable whether clients are struggling with substance abuse or not, because we can all even... Um, us as clinicians look at situations in our lives where sometimes we get in our own way, so to speak, or don't always act in our own best interest. And uh, I think a harm reduction approach really helps to empower people to, you know, take a look at what those situations are for them and really be their own agents of change. And it's just really empowering. 
Um, as far as what I didn't like, overall, I thought it was a great course. Um, my main criticism is that I think we could be doing more of this as an organization. Um, I'm glad that there's a push for this approach here. Um, and it was great to hear that, um, at least in Southern California, and I think it's starting to be more prevalent in Northern California too, that there is a harm reduction pathway at all of our um, intensive IOPs and even uh, within some um, other more community-based partnerships that I guess uh, Kaiser is helping to fund within the community. I really um, think that it would be important to see more of that or maybe another pathway because I know certain regions still really only have um, like IOPs, for example, that really stress abstinence. And there may be a small component of harm reduction that is individual based, but I think, um, you know, that doesn't always work for every client. And it's really a shame when um, we have people that essentially feel like they're, I mean, I've had clients tell me they feel like they're getting chased out of behavioral health because they're just not ready to deal with their substance abuse issue. And they feel like there's just so much pressure for abstinence that they, um, that they don't come back. And I think that's really a shame. So I hope that by educating all clinicians, even outside of um, substance abuse about this harm reduction approach, that we can hopefully have less of that within our organization. Um, three lessons that I learned and how I'll incorporate them into practice, which I hope you will take away too from my little presentation here, are that sometimes promoting safe options is a more realistic approach than trying to eliminate the behavior altogether. Another important thing I learned is that recognizing cost and benefits and also recognizing the harm and then prioritizing the patient's goal is the work. That's really how you respect the client where they are. And in doing that and facilitating the clients making changes that are reducing harm, you will hopefully eventually support them in moving the needle towards minimizing harm as much as possible for that person. Um, the third takeaway for me was, um, and I touched on this a little bit already, really that harm reduction can be used for anything that's causing harm um, in, to the client's life, um, from substance abuse to risky sexual behavior, really anything that's having a negative impact. Um, because you've just got to do that cost versus benefit analysis conversation with the client to help them really reflect and help you as a clinician find out how is this problem impacting you? Do you want to make changes to lessen that negative impact? And what are some concrete ways we can start doing that right now? Um, and that's change that can happen really quickly, which I think when you're uh, working in a uh, model where you might only have, you know, three to eight sessions with a client, 
that's really powerful and really important to be able to implement in your in your daily practice. Uh, something important to touch on before we wrap today is transference and countertransference. Um, I think that these can occur at any point, um, as we all know. For me, things about my identity that seem to um, make things come up so far um, relate to me being a woman who's middle age um, and being a mom. I've noticed in my practicum so far this year um, things like mentioning I have kids or clients will kind of almost fish for details like that if they're um, a woman that's my age. Um, and I've played around a little bit in trying to sort of determine how I feel about self-disclosure and um, when I'm going to divulge and when I don't. And typically, um, one thing I've learned is to ask myself the question of if I'm going to be self-disclosing with this client about anything, um, what is the therapeutic benefit? So tip generally, if I try to share something or if I'm going to share something, especially when that relationship is new and I might not exactly know how it's going to be received or impact the client, I typically just try to generalize things. Um, I, for example, I'm an avid practicer of four, seven, eight breathing. Sometimes that's something that I generalize rather than saying like, hey, I happen to do this nightly because there's not necessarily a benefit to telling the client that. So I can just say, you know, a lot of people find this really helpful. Uh, there was a big New York Times post about how Navy SEALs practice this, which there was, and and frankly, that tends to usually, from what I've noticed, even hold more buy-in with the client. Um, so I think that's something to be aware of, um, that just how you self-disclose can really lead to transference. On the part of the client, counter-transference for me comes up around um, issues of individuals really struggling with their own agency and that's related to some of my own stuff with substance abuse. Uh, some of you may know that I started using when I was very young because I was introduced to substances by an adult that I knew and trusted. Um, and so instances where I hear things like that or situations generally where there are children dealing with parentification or just not being protected um, in certain situations that uh, where I have my alarm bells going off, sometimes that'll bring up counter-transference issues um, that I have to be careful to be aware of and bring to supervision or um, my own therapy um, so that I can deal with them. And that's really all I have for you guys about harm reduction. I thank you so much for listening today. I hope that you learned a lot and um, found some things that'll be useful to you uh, and may make you want to explore how to incorporate harm reduction in your own social work practice. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you next week.